0: Hey there, welcome to the Universal Blueprint, a podcast series on the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. The UN created these goals to be a blueprint to achieve a better and more sustainable future for all. Every episode will delve into one goal and bring an expert in to share their perspective on it. Together, we'll learn how to make these goals into realities. This podcast is brought to you by the United Nations Association Chapter at Northeastern University University and is produced by Mihiro Shimano and Elizabeth Yeager. Welcome to the Universal Blueprint. My name is Elizabeth Yeager, and I am the host of today's episode, SDG 5, which is on gender equality. In SDG 5, the UN aims to protect all women and girls from discrimination, violence, and exploitation by 2030. To do this, Goal 5 states we will need to... End child marriage and female genital mutilation. Provide proper public services and protection for women. Encourage households to share responsibilities and value the unpaid work of women. Ensure equal opportunities for women in political, economic, and public life, as well as access to sexual and reproductive health rights. And promote legislation for gender equality and the empowerment of women and girls everywhere. Here are some statistics as of 2019. Data in 90 countries shows women devote three times more hours a day to unpaid care and domestic work than men, limiting time available for paid work, education, and leisure. Women continue to be underrepresented at all levels of political leadership. In January, women's representation in national parliaments averaged at 24.2%. One-third of 53 countries have legal gaps in anti-discrimination laws, quotas, and legal aid. Over 25% have legal gaps in the area of violence against women. In 106 countries, 18% of women and girls aged 15 to 49 have experienced physical and or sexual partner violence in the last 12 months. Rates of child marriage and female genital mutilation have significantly decreased over the last two decades, but the issues at the root of gender inequality have remained consistent. Legal discrimination, unfair social norms and attitudes, decision-making on sexual and reproductive issues, low levels of political participation, are all issues that need to be mitigated if we are to achieve SDG 5 by 2030. To help us learn about confronting gender inequality and empowering women and girls, we'll be talking today with Jill Ashton, the Director of the Massachusetts Commission on the Status of Women. Jill graduated from the University of Massachusetts Boston's program for women in politics and public policy and has worked at the commission for almost 15 years. The commission assesses the status of women in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and makes recommendations regarding policy that would positively impact women's access to equality and opportunity. Jill is known as a leader and activist in the women's advancement community. In 2016, she led the coalition of organizations that successfully stewarded the passage of the Equal Pay Act, a piece of groundbreaking economic justice legislation that, among other provisions, prevented hiring managers from inquiry about salary history. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast, Jill. We're so happy to have you. Could you tell us about your work and how you chose your career path?
1: So I serve as the executive director at the Massachusetts Commission on the status of women and um, I've been there now for about 15 years and um, didn't didn't co- you know didn't it, it was a rather circuitous route. Um, I think um, that I was always passionate about equality, um, or inequality is sort of, I was, maybe it wasn't so much that I was passionate about equality as I was furious um, when I saw inequality. Um, and, you know, that I feel in some ways um grew out of this childish, um, or not childish per se, as much as um, all I can think of is when, you know, when you're younger, you just sort of, that's not fair, is something that you hear from children quite a bit. Um, and I feel like as a child, I said that endlessly. And um, I feel that um, it certainly did inform my decision to move into this work. Um, but I didn't know, you know, tr- transitioning from being a young person into the professional world, um, as I said earlier, it didn't, it wasn't a direct line. So um, when I went to undergrad, um, I started with a major in English because I liked books and I wanted to read. Um, but I was drawn fairly quickly to uh, books that were written by women writers um, and had this wonderful opportunity to be exposed to literature that was outside of the sort of the canon of literature that I had been familiar with um, and to be able to see the world in different ways and to be under, be able to understand power in different ways, if you will. Um, and um, it was incredibly exciting. And so when I graduated, Um, I was thinking that I wanted to elevate those voices or or do something to work in the area of elevating women's voices um, or marginalized voices. I should say it that way. Um, And so I tried to go down that path, but in the meantime, ended up doing some different kinds of work. Um, And then ultimately um, made the decision that if um, I I really wanted to have an impact in these areas and I needed to go back to school. And so um, I found the program for women in politics and public policy at UMass Boston. And it was a wonderful experience because I was able to have the training that I needed as well as, um, and this is really important, the network that I needed in order to be able to uh, contribute to the work. Um, And so again landed at the commission shortly thereafter and it's exactly the work that I want to do, which is probably why I've been there for so long.
0: Do you have advice for people who would like to take on leadership roles or work in your field?
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things I would say about leadership is that
0: you should define it in
1: your own leadership style in terms of what feels authentic to you. Um, That was something that was an aha moment for me in terms of how we understand come back to this word, um, power, but it, I think it's important that, that there is um, a moment where you come into your own power, right? You understand, like, this is who I am as a person. This is how I'm going to be um, productive in a, an authentic way. This is how I can contribute in an authentic way. Um, and then um, being true to that, you're able to be as productive as possible. And if you're not, I just sort of feel if you're not true to who you are as a person, Um, you're not gonna be happy in the work and won't be as productive in the work. Um, And so what I would say is feel, be intentional about understanding who you are, who you want to be in the world, and what kind of leader you want to be. And recognize that there are many different models of leadership. Um, And I think sometimes we fail ourselves when we try to fit ourselves into someone else's model of leadership. And then seek out people that are doing work that's similar to you know to the work that you want to do, or who are leaders that you admire, and and ask them for their advice, and ask them if, you know how you can contribute um, to the to the you know I, again I come back to this this theme of shared work or this community work, right? There's no way that we are going to be able to be successful um, if we do it alone. Rather, we need to do it together.
0: Looking at the pandemic's effect on gender equality. According to the World Health Organization, women make up 75% of healthcare practitioners and 87% of healthcare supporting staff. Research reveals women suffer penalties when they leave the workforce, receiving 7% less compensation than those who never left the workforce, and women are more likely to leave to take care of ill family members. When women return to work after the pandemic ends, will there be a gap in compensation?
1: I mean, I think it's an excellent question. You know, I think that um, just to ask the question is important, right? So, for example, when we were advocating for the Equal Pay Act that passed in Massachusetts or assigned in Massachusetts in 2016, there were certain mm, realities of of the advocacy uh, strategy that were beneficial to our work. One of them was that we had been doing this work, we had been talking about equal pay, for more than 10 years and talking about legislation related to equal pay for more than 10 years And so when we went back to the state house with a, with a different bill um, that that then had been filed in previous sessions um, we, we needed to educate about the components of the bill but we didn't have to educate on the issue of equal pay. So the vast majority of the legislators had heard from us and understood the issue of unequal pay, or pay discrimination. There was maybe only one or two folks that were like, "Man, I don't, you know, really." There's there's disparities in gender and race pay. What? Um, so you know, the fact that we had done that work, we had a foundation for that work, was was um, beneficial to us and and our ability to be able to move that bill. Um, I think that where we find ourselves now with the pandemic, um, we're in this interesting moment, right, where um, there are certain folks that I feel get it like they understand like wow this is a crisis and we did not have in place certain safety nets uh, to provide for folks who were doing that either invisible or uncompensated labor um, or for people that were working um, or for people that were working and living living in the margins right um, and so in some ways uh, the pandemic has served to draw greater attention um, to areas where um, areas of need. Um, And and in other ways, um, I think people are reasonably anxious and reasonably scared. And so what often happens when folks are scared is they make choices that are not rational. And they certainly don't make choices that benefit the community, right? They're making choices that benefit themselves and their families. Um, And so I see it going one of, you know, it could, it could really, you know, it could go one or two ways, uh, or it might go, you know, a combination of ways. Um, I'm not sure. I really hope um, that we're able to come out of this with a commitment to building a better uh, and more just society and communities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also know on a daily basis, you know, we're hearing from folks that are in um that are in super challenging super you know what I mean everything from issues around um domestic violence where home is not the safest place for them to be to issues of, of true food insecurity uh to issues related to um, eduqua- educational disparities um and also you know frankly and, and from a from you know a personal perspective like, Um, Working parents are not okay right now. They are trying to juggle caring for their children and caring for um, maybe elder members of their family and trying to care for their jobs or tend to the responsibilities of their jobs. Um, And again, that could go one one of two ways. We could go back to work and we could have a better understanding that flexible schedules that meet the needs of working families are truly needed. Or we could just be desperate to get back to the workplace uh, and return, you know, this sort of return to normal, right? Um, When really normal wasn't serving all of our communities. Um, So, you know, I think that what is required of us at work in the social justice community is to really take this moment um, and urge um, folks. To, to consider uh, not only what's right and just, but also what is, mm, and this is me being sort of a strategist, if you will, um, what is required of our democracy in terms of caring for our citizens. And this responsibility, again, extends beyond what's right and just, but really is about ensuring healthy um, communities. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it, that, that's work that we
0: need to do and we need to do really well. Does the commission have policies to protect women from this gap?
1: Yeah, so let me take a step back regarding the paternal leave. So um, Massachusetts, uh, so when so we've got both federal laws and state laws, right? So at the federal level, there's job protection for um, if you take time away from your um, work in order to care for your family. Um, and then just last session in Massachusetts, and Massachusetts always had a more a generous policy around job protection. Um, so, you know, again, protections at the federal level, Massachusetts protections were more generous, but still wasn't paid leave. Um, in the previous session, um, under um, negotiations that were referred to as the Great Compromise, um, they were able to um, achieve uh, paid medical leave, but they're just in the process of rolling it out now. Um, so mm. it certainly came not a moment uh, to... Um, soon or too late so and and what that looks like is an insurance um and so so employers and employees pay into an insurance fund um, and if they need to take time away from their families they can draw from that and there's certain depending on the hours that they work and depending on the employer that they work for different levels of um uh compensation um or or wage replacement that's provided which is excellent um and then in terms of other policies that the commission has either so we worked on that we worked on PFML in the previous session. Um, the commission has um, other sort of legislative victories so the Equal pay legislation that I referred to earlier. Part of um, that legislation uh, is a ban on salary history. So um, if you are applying for a job, <clears throat> it used to be that all states in the country, employer or hiring manager could ask about your salary at a previous job. And so what this served, what ended up happening is that wage discrimination would be perpetuated from job to job. So um, if you hope to make, you know, if you hope to make $70,000 in a job and your employer says, well, what were you making in your previous job? And you say $50,000, then they understand that they can offer you perhaps $60,000, even if you are highly qualified and deserve that those $70,000. So now in Massachusetts and in many other states because of the action of Massachusetts. So we saw after the 2016 legislation was signed, many states and actually some municipalities taking the step to ban salary history. Um, So this is, you know, this is an important component of our equal pay legislation and would certainly address some women's challenges when it comes to pay inequality. But there's many things that, you know, where our either legislation that the commission endorsed or um, legislation or or law that's in place falls short in terms of women's equality. Um, You know, one of those areas where we're concerned about working more is around low, low wage workers. Um, and so there's lots of work to to do in that particular area. Um, I'm, I'm very concerned about, um, essential workers and workers that are providing care that work that has a tendency to be invisible, right? So caring for children, caring for elders, um, people that are, you know, cleaning facilities, um, I think that, again, because that work has a tendency to be done by women, um, it's undervalued and underappreciated and underprotected. So those workers are underprotected. And, again, I think that we have this opportunity to um, really lean into um, creating policy and protections for those workers and, um, and I hope that I hope that we're that not only we as as a community of social justice uh, policy folks are able to to um, really step up and um, but to but to bring other folks along with us, policymakers along with us as well.
0: Has the pandemic brought to light any unseen issues of gender inequality that need to be focused on?
1: Thank you. That's a really excellent question. Um, I think that no is the answer. I mean, I think that what we're seeing is. The pandemic has highlighted those issues, uh, or, or shown a spotlight on them. Um, and you know, the, if, if I was to say, like, you know, what did we learn in this moment? Is that I mean, this is hard to say, but perhaps that we should have been more aggressive. This work is, is long and hard, and there and, and victories are are um, are hard fought, and so there, there it often requires patience. Um, and I think that there is this is an exciting sort of, in my mind, an exciting push and pull. Um, in the, within the community, so we, uh, this sort of community that's seeking greater equality, greater social justice, and there are folks that are more aggressive about that work, and there are others that are more sort of calculated or conservative um, about um, bringing everyone along, right, to like really build that coalition slowly and steadily. Um, And I would say kind of that, not kind of, but that's where the commission exists because our role as as an independent state agency is to build consensus. Um, So we are not um, on the front line working as a service provider or um, with um, folks that are on the ground in the grassroots. Rather, what we do is, as I said earlier, build consensus. We are hearing from folks at public hearings. We're hearing from folks that are working with our regional commissions. We're working with people that are members of partner organizations. And then we take all that information and then we bring it to members of the legislature and we say, listen, this is what we're hearing. These are the people that we need to be connecting with. Um, And so because of that, because of that role that we play, um, we have a tendency again to be um, more mm, intentional again, and I don't wanna say conservative, but, but very careful about the work that we're doing. And so in the midst of a pandemic, that is a privilege that is limited, right? That like we recognize, like no, 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 this needs to happen now. We can't wait. We have people that either you know they need uh, protection, or they need food, or they need healthcare, and we cannot wait. Um, and so I think that that has been what I've learned in this moment, and it will be interesting to see as we transition to um, you know, transition in, into the future and what. Um, will be the choices that the Commission will make in terms of areas where we can have a productive impact.
0: The World Economic Forum states, experience shows that domestic, sexual, and gender-based violence increases during crises and disasters, bringing up the concern that domestic violence will spike during COVID-19. Has the Commission made any plans or policy changes to help with this issue? Has information on this been assessed?
1: Yeah, it's a really excellent question. Um, So the Commission has a long-time partnership with a number of organizations that do work around violence and sexual assault. Two of them that I'll shout out right now, um, BARC, uh, Boston Area Rape Crisis Center, and Jane Doe. Um, There's a number of others, um, really excellent organizations inside Massachusetts um, that are committed to serving women, um, either victims of uh, violence or survivors of violence. so, in the past, what the commission has done is, again, sort of supported those organizations, and um, it would be inappropriate for us to be duplicating work, especially when they are so well positioned to do that work well. Um, however, as we went into um, the stay-at-home order, we were hearing from folks um, in our, you know, as we're gathering information, either with with um, public hearings or surveys, um, that this is an issue of concern. Um, to many people. And so, we were thinking about, the Commission considered ways that we might be able to um, support uh, the work more broadly. Um, One of those was the report that we did around uh, the impact of COVID on women and girls, which was released just recently. Um, We had a section on domestic violence. Um, And then also, we're supportive of and participate in the work that's being done by uh, the legislature and the administration. So, The legislature has established a task force on this issue to respond to, again, the issue of domestic violence during uh, COVID. And then there is um, the the governor's uh, council on domestic violence and sexual assault, which has uh, predated COVID, but certainly in this moment has pivoted and is looking at the needs of the, again, survivors and victims, or victims and survivors, excuse me. Um, And it's been part of um, the remarks that have been made by the governor and the lieutenant governor. Um, But there's always, again, there is always so much more work to be done in this area. um, And we are looking forward to supporting, again, those task force and the council and those organizations that are doing the work in the communities.
0: How does achieving SDG 5 affect our healthcare systems, economy, and post pandemic world?
1: Yeah, I mean, achieving SDG 5 is, you know, we're striving for a feminist society, right? And mm-hmm. um, just recently, Hawaii uh, women, the Hawaii Commission on the Status of Women, put out a, a report that was just really fantastic. Um, and I believe the title was a feminist response to COVID. Um, and it was exciting to think about um, policy. I mean, the way that I come to the policy, or the way that I talk about our work, is being under, able to understand policy with a gendered lens, right? So we're not. Uh, we're very intentional about seeing women represented and centering women in uh, the creation of that policy, right? Um, I, I don't think I would be so bold as to use the word feminist, even though I know that I'm acting from a place of of sort of, I mean, sort of my feminism is directing me in my work, if you will. Um, but it was. Very exciting to see Hawaii say like this is a feminist response to um, this crisis, and we need to um, use that in order to ensure that again that we move out of this crisis and that our communities are stronger after this crisis. Um, so I would urge you to take a peek at it. Um, I Sounds think interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think the same thing goes um, for what we're talking about in terms of uh, these um, SG five policies, right? That. Um, These are policies that um, will ensure that women and girls can be fully participatory in their government and decisions about their communities and their, and their, and themselves and their bodies, right? Um, And that is an exciting and radical thing. Um, It also is kind of something that's so simple, right? Like those, that should, it should just sort of go, it should, it just should exist at this point in our history, but it doesn't. Um, And so, As I said earlier in our conversation, I think that we will always be striving for a better, more just society and we'll always be re envisioning and understanding what equality and justice looks like. Um, And so the other thing that I said is I really enjoy working with the interns because um, even in the course of five or 10 years, um, how I understand my work, how I talk about my work, the language that I use has shifted because I'm able to work with people that that, that bring a new perspective to the table or something that I hadn't seen. And that's really important. So I think that um, I'm hopeful about our work moving forward. I know that we are going to make progress. And I think the question is how quickly can we make that progress um, and how soon can it happen for those people that need it um, in the, you know in this exact moment immediately right now?
0: Do you think achieving SDG 5 by 2030 is plausible? If not, what do you think needs to change in order to make it possible?
1: So I'm an eternal optimist. I I always sort of believe it's possible, um, and that's part of convincing myself that it is, if you will. Uh Of convincing myself that you know we need to continue to do the work, even though it can be so frustrating, it can be so challenging. In certain moments, it can be—it's—it's uh, it's more than just discouraging. It is infuriating, and um, it's even more than that. It—I it, just—I can't quite put my finger on um, how frustrating it is to see things that feel deeply offensive, if you will, in terms of um, you know my sort of. M- m- me as a woman in society, and when I look around and I see women of color and girls, and and how um, they are not included in the process or disrespected isn't quite the right word, but um, I think that there are these moments where it can be you can be despondent, right? Like you can be lost in despair. Um, but um, in those moments, you have to sort of take a breath and recommit yourself to the work, right? So I think my optimism is what allows me to to take a breath and recommit myself to the work. I think, however, 2030 feels, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that there are things where our country has been so severed on issues that we are no longer hearing each other Um, and we're no longer seeing each other. And that is frightening to me. So this is the one question where I I feel um, I'm not as optimistic as I usually am, and I'm not as optimistic Mm -hmm. in in terms of any of the other questions that I answered for you today. Um, And yet, um, I think um, there's no no one that I know that is committed to these issues that would be deterred by that, right? So that we're going to continue to um, work towards that date in particular um, and uh, stay committed to our work. I loved the quote that Diana Presley had used when she ran about how she was prepared to lose, but she was running to win, right? <laughs> and that is often um, how I think about the work that we have to be prepared to fail and we have to be able to be prepared to pivot to a different strategy or a different tactic, but we're never going to give up. Yeah, we're never going to turn away from our obligation to the work.
0: Do you have any advice for our listeners who are looking to work towards SDG 5? during this time and after the pandemic ends?
1: Yeah, so I would say do the work that's exciting to you, right? Like there's so much work that's important. The, so figure out the thing that you get really excited about, and really fired up about, right? Um, because um, it's broad, right? There's like many different areas um, within um, social justice and women's equality and in, in this particular platform where you can have an impact. So first and foremost, do the thing that is um, exciting to you. Um, and that goes back to my comments about, like, be authentic in terms of, like, what your hopes are for being an, an agent of change um, and and work the way that feels comfortable and true to you. Um, I would also just urge people so strongly uh, to, to, again, not think about returning to normal, right? Not even think about returning to a new normal, right? Because um, there are certain things that have been broken and we're never going to return to um, the way that they were before. And there are certain things, frankly, that should have been broken um, that weren't working. Um, And I think what I would really love people to continue to talk about um, in their communities um, is um, where are there areas where we are eager to create a new and better system or a new and better society, um, one that serves um, all members. Um, And so... Um, that's what I would say like just don't talk about returning to normal or a new normal talk about how we can build a better more just society that serves all of its members um, and do the thing that feels true and right to you
0: would you like to give a spotlight to any organizations or legislations you are involved in yeah I mean
1: um so certainly there are things that I'm very excited about at the commission and as I mentioned a few of them earlier um We're working currently on legislation that relates to women's maternal health. Um, We're interested in um, women in the workforce. Um, But then I also very much hope that we can return to issues around women's representation in government. I think that in order for a government to be able to meet the needs, I've said this before in in the course of our conversation, but in order for government to be able to meet the needs of its citizens, it needs to be be truly representative of its community. so I am looking forward to returning to that um, and there's a number of organizations that we partner with um, and I would hate to start sort of listing them because certainly I would leave um, leave them out um, but I will perhaps leave you with this last um, comment I i am so excited about the work that the commission is doing and working in this particular community and the people that I work with I feel this think the same way so if anyone who's listening is interested in connecting with either me or another member of the commission or uh, you know something uh, with an organization that is doing work that again that is a particularly interest them I would be happy to put them
0: in touch thank you so much for all the work that you do and thank you for coming on to the podcast and talking about your specialty it was great having you of course Thank you for tuning in to today's episode on SDG 5, Gender Equality, and a special thank you to Jill Ashton for informing us on the Commission's current agenda, inspiring our future leaders to be authentic and optimistic, and reminding us of the power that representation in the government holds. We hope you'll join us for our next episode, which will be out next month. See you next time.